Okay, I know, I know it's overcast and cloudy, but don't be like first service. They didn't laugh at any of my jokes. Makes me feel so bad. Anyway, uh, did everybody get a card when they came in? Everybody? Anybody not get a card? Wait, hold on. Let me try this. Anyway, service time. See, I know I wear off on all of you, and that's really bad, right? So that's why we do this. Stick it, like, next to your sink in the morning so when you get up next week and you're, you know, like, oh, it's almost 10. It's almost time to leave to go to church, right? Because you leave your house at 10 instead. Never mind. Okay. You know, kind of go, oh, crap, it's 9.30 or 11. So you'd see that, right? And maybe before you go to bed, if you're a guy, you know, just kind of tape it to your wife's forehead. If you're a wife, tape it to your husband's forehead. Whatever. Take one. Remember, next week, time change for us. I have to tell you, I'm going to be so much, I'm going to extra half hour of sleep next week. I'm going to be in such a better mood. I'm going to be mad at everybody all morning long. It'll be great. Again, uh, baptisms next week. Everybody's invited to come. You should all come. We're going to serve you lunch. Uh, one, so if you usually go out to lunch, you know, sometime during the day or whatever, come to this. We will give you lunch. Uh, but you need to bring something to drink and like a dessert of some sort. Cookies are always a plus because I love cookies. So you can bring cookies and uh, something to drink and bring them with you. I will give you directions next week. It's pretty close. It's right up the hill up here. And then you can swim. I was just told that they fixed the heater, so it's really warm right now. The pool is, which would be great on a day like today. So you guys can, oh, today's going to go bad. I can just tell. No one. <laughs> Uh, and then, again, I told Christy that I would mention this again. If you volunteer with Children's after next service, after the 1130 service, uh, come to the meeting. If you want to know more about Children's, go to the meeting. You can find out about uh, our vision uh, for kids' ministries and you know how that relates to adults and how we kind of put all that together at Element. And the last thing I want to say is this before we start. Uh, Memorial Day is tomorrow. And we don't have like a video or anything to show you about that, but I just thought I would throw this out there so you guys could get an idea, maybe hopefully remember. It's not just a day off, it's a day to remember the the people who have actually fallen in battle securing the freedom for our country. Uh, One of the best shows I think I've ever watched is called Band of Brothers. Uh, Yeah, there you go. Uh, If you never watch it, you should get it and watch it. It's all about World War II and and some of the guys that they lost. It's it's a great, it's a great series. So it kind of reminded me of this and... Just so tomorrow, you know, as you're taking some time, just take a moment to just remember and reflect on why we have the freedom that we do. Okay? I don't care how you feel about war or whatever, just we, we owe our freedom to a lot of good guys and God as well. All right, Stanley, reading God's Word, and we will get started. It's Philippians 4 4, and you guys seem to need this this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. <laughs> I will say it again, rejoice. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that you would take us as a people and you would help us to be those who rejoice, even in times where it's overcast, uh, even in times where our lives are troubled. We would be those who learn to trust you enough that we can rejoice in any situation. Amen. Have a seat. All right. uh, If you are new here, we are going through the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, you can open to John chapter 14. And I'm going to tell you about my week that I actually wrote this message. Because I write my messages pretty far in advance. And so the week before the message, I actually think about it all week. The week I wrote this message uh, kind of went like this. One of the people who I really like and love had just had his job pulled out from underneath him with no warning. They were moving him from one position to another. He was lied to by his company, put in a nowhere situation. 
So it's kind of like if you worked at McDonald's, you'd go from like manager to fry cook in like one day. That's kind of what happened to this. It wasn't at McDonald's, but it was, it's kind of like that. Uh, I have another guy, one of the guys on our board. He had lost his job about two months before this. He had just found another job, so his family started to breathe a sigh of relief. Then his wife lost her job the night before. He tells me this. I'm like, ah. I got a little, add a little bit of turmoil in my own life. Uh, I have half ownership of a computer company, and it was tanking, just Hanking. We got uh, a couple guys that work for us and stuff, and I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do if we're going to make payroll the next month. Uh, we're trying to find ways to cut overhead. My wife and I don't know where we're going to live the next month if things continue to tank the way that they are. So a little, little stressed out. So in order to relax, I go into my house and I say, I'm going to mow the lawn because, you know, get some aggression out. I'll kill some grass and be happy about it. Uh, so I pull up my weed whacker and I go to weed whack and all of a sudden my gas line breaks in the weed whacker. It just dumps gas in the lawn. And I'm like, which on a positive, it kills it, so I don't have to mow it. But on a, on a negative side, uh, it's, it's costing like half a paycheck for a gallon of gas at that point. So I'm like, oh, this is terrible. So I mow the lawn, and I go on, and I pull out my blower, which is to blow everything off in the back. And I try to start it, and, and the thing won't start. And then it, and it dies, and it's broken. So my blower won't suck or blow, which means it sucks and blows, right? That's... <laughs> kind of how it works. Uh, for Element, we're in here, and, we're, and we didn't know how long we're going to be able to be here. We're going to have to move somewhere else, what that's going to look like. They're going to kick us out the next month, so we're looking for all these places, which stresses me out because the city does not like me. Every time I go to the city, they give me a terribly hard time. It's like their sole goal in life is to humble me when I go in there. I mean, occupancy, just for this room. I go in, and, and they're like, so what's occupancy? It's not on your paper. And I said, well, you're supposed to tell me that. And they say, right, we're supposed to tell you that. And I say, so what is it? Well, what do you think it's supposed to be? And I'm like, I don't know. And, they, and I go, isn't the fire department supposed to? Yeah, the fire department. I said, well, how do they know? Well, we tell them. I'm like, well, and seriously, I had a guy that works for the city in first service, and he goes, yep, that's how it works. It was terrible. We actually had to come up with an equation and tell them what we thought occupancy for this room was supposed to be. I think it's a little overrated. But okay, I'll stick 214 of you in here if I can get you in here. It, it, it's wonderful. Um, we had just about got ready to do the tattoo show. It was the next weekend. And Joy was running all kinds of stuff with the city. And I'm like, I'm not going down there. They don't like me. You know? and, and people were telling lies about their tattoo shop because they, they invited a bunch of believers to do this tattoo show. And some other places in town are very angry about that. Uh, so they had some lies told about them. And so everything is just kind of going nuts. And it's amazing how God works stuff out when you start to study a section of scripture like this. John 14.1 starts like this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And I'm like, God, thanks for all the reminders this week. This was great. I totally appreciate this. But then it gets better. He says, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And this is actually wedding language. What this is, 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 a, is a groom would say to his bride, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will come back and I will take you to be where I am. So this is wedding language. This is Jesus saying he's going to die and he's going to resurrect, go to heaven, build a place for us where we're going to live as a family. No, no permits and no city officials and no papers to sign and no weed whackers and blowers and lawn mowers. And I'm sure it looks nice and great. I tell you, even if it's like pastel yellow piece of junk, I'm fine with it. I'm going to be, this is the best house ever. Jesus, so Jesus uses this metaphor. He says, you know, we're, we're like a family. God is our father. We'll live together like in a house. It's all metaphors. And when you learn about do, do not let your hearts be troubled, it's like, look out, because 
here, here it comes. Everything's going to implode. Jesus, this week, he is in, in his life, he is betrayed and he is crucified. This is what happens to him. It's all about to implode. And so there's a series of three questions that get asked by his disciples. The first one is this. It's from Thomas. Verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? It's like, Jesus, so that sounds great. You know, we'd love to go to heaven and move in. So uh, how do we get there? How do we get there? So Jesus comes back with one of the clearest declarations of him being God in all of the scriptures. Verse 6, Jesus answered, I am, which echoes Exodus 3.14, where God calls himself I am. He says, I am the way, which is singular, the truth, singular, and the life, singular. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Because you want to get to the kingdom of God, you go through me. Jesus makes a statement here. It's an amazing statement about exclusivity. Like you want life and salvation and truth and the presence of God, you go through me. That's how it works. Now, our world struggles with this. They are troubled, right? They're troubled with this. It does not typically anymore struggle with spirituality and miracles or healing or the supernatural. What the world struggles with now is exclusivity. That one sacred scripture is right. That there is one path to God that is right. The exclusivity of Christ is what is in jeopardy in the church actually today. You know, the reasons that Christians are considered narrow-minded is they are, okay? They are because Jesus was, Jesus is. Jesus said, it's all about me. And so we as a people go, it is all about Jesus. And we point to who Jesus is. And you want new and true life? You simply point at Jesus. That's where it comes from. And sometimes this causes people to disdain people who call themselves Christians. You know what? That's okay. As long as you're not living like a nut and like totally turning people off because of how you live, it's okay if people disdain you for what you believe. That's okay. You can live with that. We do not not love other people because they see us as narrow-minded. You love them anyway, but you always live the truth. Now, second question. Philip has a question about this. Verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So his question is, okay, that's great. Show us. Can you show us the Father? As in our day, many people say, I'll believe that and go with that. Just show me God, and I'll be fine. So Jesus responds, verse 9, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I think Philip's problem with Jesus is that he is so familiar with him. Philip has been near Jesus at this point for about three years. He is so accustomed to Jesus, he no longer sees his grandeur. I think sometimes that's true for you and I as well. You know, we get, we get so accustomed to being in a church and hearing Jesus died for your sins, and you hear these things all along that we forget what he has done, and we become lazy, and our worship becomes mundane. You know, some people, maybe some of you, you're, you're, you're raised in church, and you go to church your entire life, you hear about the Bible and all these stories, and all of a sudden Jesus becomes very tame, becomes very mundane and familiar and manageable, and the mystery of Christ gets forgotten. You begin to forget that. Many of your race know Jesus had lived, and they hear the stories, but they don't actually even know why. He becomes just like a decent moral guy and a good teacher. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been, with you, been among you such a long time? It's like, have you missed the obvious? Have I been so close that you misunderstood who I really am. Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And Jesus now makes a reference to who God is. In the history of the church, we have this belief that's called the Trinity, one God existing in three persons. The Jews believe there is one God. So do Christians. Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word one there, it's a reference to uh, plurality and singularity. I mean, it's like, it references like a cluster of grapes. Many grapes, one cluster. 
We believe that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So Jesus says, look, you want to investigate if what I'm saying is actually true? There's three things you look at to see who I am. The first one, what are my words? What did Jesus teach? What did he instruct? The second is, what are his works? How did Jesus actually live his life? And the third are, what are my miracles? What evidence is there of God in the miracles and how Christ did those? His words, his works, his miracles. That's how you investigate Jesus. He says, I am the one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. You may have trouble in your life, but when you do, trust me. Trust me, have faith. And when you have faith, that translates into how you live. Verse 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, the next few verses are ones that are totally blown out of the water today by such bizarre theology that's actually out there. Jesus starts first by saying this. His followers will do what he has been doing. So what has Jesus been doing? WWJD, is that what would Jesus, what did Jesus Ah, whatever. Okay, you know, Jesus taught, loved, fed, and he helped people. The word Christian originally was a stereotype and a negative term that made fun of people who followed Jesus. They were like, oh, you think you're a little Jesus. Like, like the whole term Jesus freak and all that, you know. And Christians were like, well, yeah, I guess I'm supposed to be that. And they started to live that and they took it and they ran with it. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. And then he says the confusing line, he will do even greater things than these. Now, some people have taken this verse to mean that we are greater than Jesus. Some people on TV say this to you a lot. They make it sound like Jesus was JV and you're varsity. All right? you, know, and you are not greater than Jesus. I'll just throw that right there. Okay, you're not greater than Jesus. You will not meet Jesus one day and walk up and say, well, you know, you lived and died and rose from the dead and, and atoned for man's sins and reconciled the world to, to God. You're good, but you're not better than me. You know, you have potential, but not like Aaron. You know, we, we're never going to say something like that to Jesus. What this means, literally is that Jesus in his incarnation, he humbles himself. He humbles himself. And so he can only be at one place at one time. But now that the Spirit of God is living and active and poured out into the children of God, the multitude of what you and I can do can be greater. Not the magnitude, but the multitude. Because we have more hands and more feet and more lives and more tongues. We can do the things he was doing, but with a greater multitude. And it is a great honor that he invites us to do this. Verse 13, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I I will do it. Again, widely misused verse in our day. Ask anything, I'll do it. People make God into the cosmic pinata. And, you know, the, the in Jesus' name is the magic stick, and you whack God with it, and the goodies fall from heaven. It's like, I want a new car in Jesus' name. Whack! I want a smoking hot wife that knows how to use a pole in Jesus' name. Whack! Maybe I shouldn't say that. I want to win the lottery, and I swear I'll give some back to you, God. In Jesus' name, whack. And it doesn't work that way. That is not how... Sorry, just get over that. Just keep going, okay? It's not how it works. Although I did get a smoking hot wife, but... Anyway. Some people will make good money on TV trying to tell you this, that this is the magic stick you whack. God, you should take that stick and whack them with it, because it's, it's, it's wrong. This is totally wrong. Jesus is teaching that God will answer prayers, but in context, what type of prayers does God answer? 
Those that glorify the Father. Those are the type. Most of our prayers end up going about self-glorification. Make me tall and skinny or rich or, or good-looking or, or smart or something like that. And Jesus says, if you want to pray, you pray for things that honor God. You make it about His glory and His honor and His hope because God is loving and He is merciful and He's compassionate. What most of us don't need is more stuff more goodies. We are blessed beyond measure as it already is. We need, what we need is to glorify the Father. So Jesus says, you want prayers answered? You pray prayers that glorify the Father. How? In Jesus' name. What is that? I think it means according to Jesus' will. And this is hard for people because we think people should just agree with, with that God should always just agree with us. Whatever we think, that's what God should do. I have a friend who uh, goes to college down south and she lives in this dorm with this other girl who claims to be a believer. And this girl says, you know, I really think God's telling me I'm supposed to sleep with my boyfriend. And, and, and my friend goes, goes, why is that? Well, I just think really God j- just said it, it's okay. And she's like, ah, I don't see how you can do that. So this, this doormate of her gets, gets on a plane, flies back to her hometown. She gets off the plane, and it's snowing. And she goes, it never snows in my hometown. That's a sign from God. I'm supposed to sleep with my boyfriend. And I'm like... Wow, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a, couldn't it be like it's snowing so you're not supposed to go outside or snow is white like purity or, you know, I, we, we try and look all kinds of stuff and we try and make God agree with us because it's what we want. But we're to be people who pray for the Father's glory and the will of the Son, things that continue the ministry that Jesus actually did, bigger than ourselves. So what things should we pray for? Then we can pray for salvation for those who don't know God. Encourage that we'd be those who live the life God calls us to live so people can see who God really is by the life that we live. I think you pray for the health of the church of God. Jesus loves his church, and so we pray for the health of his church, not just element, but God's church worldwide. Uh, you pray for healing in the book of James. It says pray for one another when you're sick. We, ha- we have a prayer list. If you want to get on our prayer list, you go to our website, ourelement.org. You click on My Element and you sign up. And weekly we will send you a prayer list of people who have needs in this body or in our community. And you will get like a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And every day of the week you can pray for something if you don't know what to pray for right now. You can do that. Um, you also pray for, I think, opportunities to serve. Just like Christ came to Serve. Mark 10.45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we participate in the cause of God. See, some people think that prayer is the way you, you bend God's arm to your will so he does what you want. But prayer changes the heart of God's people. If you have people in, in your life that, that don't know God and you start to pray for them, your heart gets very tender towards those people. If, if you have people that just drive you nuts and you start praying for them, they don't drive you nuts as much because you're now thinking about things bigger than just them. When you pray for a need, sometimes you will get compelled to meet that need. We pray God works on us. We can do more because there are more of us. See, and I think it's also a reason why sometimes some people are actually afraid to pray and actually listen to God because sometimes when you pray and go, God, please take care of this need, and God goes, good, you take care of it. Because that's part of the point. God makes his answer our own prayers because God likes to work through his children. God, there's people who need, who need clean drinking water in Indonesia. Good. You take care of it. You find a way to do something about that. Ugh. You know, because God does. He says, good, do something about that. Ask what you want, but make it to the glory of the Father. Verse 15. So Jesus says this, because if you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, we always get this backwards. We think we obey, 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 and then God loves us. But Jesus says love for God produces obedience. Love causes you to do things you wouldn't normally do. 
I love my wife. I think my wife's great. And so you know what I do? I vacuum my house because she hates it and I hate it too, but I love her. So I, if I didn't love her, I would never vacuum the house. You walk in and be like, oh no, that's, you just stand on the dirt. You're, you're good. You know, because I, I would never vacuum the house, but love causes us to, I, I cannot wait till next week. If you guys go to the baptisms and you read the stories that people are writing about why they're getting baptized, there are a couple stories in here that are just amazing. Where people are just like, you know what? My life is changing because I love God. That's why lives are changing. And it's amazing when you see this. Love causes you to do things you wouldn't normally do. Love and obedience always go hand in hand. Love demonstrates our love for God. Mark Driscoll says this. He says, love is the highest cause, the deepest motivator, and the greatest inspiration. This is why legalism becomes so deadly. Because legalism like you do this and you pray this and you read that or eat that or don't eat that. But someone who loves God will typically do more than someone who is a legalist because they have a different motive, and it's a better motive. And it's interesting that Jesus saves this teaching until Judas left the meal. I think he saves it because Judas didn't love God. Today, we would look at Judas, and we would say, oh, he knows Scripture, he walks with Jesus, he keeps the money, he must be holy. He'd be like a deacon or an elder in most churches today. But he had no love for Jesus in his heart. And what I want you to hear is this. If, If you struggle with obeying God, the issue, you know, may not be doing more and reading more and going to church more. The issue may be, do you really love God? Do you tell everybody you love God, but you really don't? That could be your problem. Because if you love God, things begin to change. You, you, you see the need and you recognize because of your love for God the things that need to change. And that God loves you and we simply love him back. It all begins with God's love for us. John. Later in his life, I mean, he's getting close to his death at this point. In 1 John 4, uh, 8 through 10, he says this, Whoever does not love God, does not love, does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God pours out his love for us first, and so we love him back. We realize that love, everything else falls into place. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were hard-hearted, while we hated him, Christ died for us. Christ's love is supposed to kill our pride. Romans 2, 4 says it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. That's why behavior modification doesn't work. Love is what works. If you love me, you obey what I command, verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So this is good news. This is how it works. How can I love Jesus and glorify the Father and do the works of Jesus? He says, I will give you the Holy Spirit. And then he explains this. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. That's resurrection. You also will live our resurrection. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. And we're like, wow. Well, that's hard to wrap our heads around, but that's okay because the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth, actually. He, God, Jesus reconciles us to the Father through himself. Jesus says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So he's like, I will give you the Holy Spirit so you won't be orphans, you won't be left alone. I will give you this. He will guide you, he will enable you, he will gift you, he will enable you to be what God intends you to be. It's a beautiful thing. So you glorify the Father. How? By living the will of the Son. How? You do what He was doing. How? By loving. How? That's the work of the Spirit. That is the work of the Spirit. I love you. You love me. We love Jesus. Work of the Spirit. 
Today, I might offend people right now, but that's okay, because uh, I do that a lot. Today, there's a terrible, terrible teaching on the Holy Spirit out there. It's like he only comes out to get people all weirded out. It's like Mardi Gras, New Year's Eve. It's like, here comes the Holy Spirit. It's really weird. You know, it's like he's like the freak member of, of the Godhead that does bizarre and weird things all the time. No, he doesn't. Okay? God is a God of order. The first time you see the Holy Spirit in Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, he brings order out of chaos. That's what he does. That's what he does. What human flesh does in the church is they begin to create chaos and disorder, and they say, well, that's the Holy Spirit. No, it wasn't. Other people say things like, we need to demonstrate this or that gift to show that you have the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus and Paul both say, there's one thing you look for to know if someone has the Spirit of God. You know what it is? Love. Love. That's what it is. Jesus says, I will love you, you will love me, you will love each other. Galatians chapter 5 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The Spirit of God produces love, then out of that love comes peace, patience, kindness, joy, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit of God creates love in the child of God, love for others, love for God, love for God's word, love for God's truth. Now, sometimes because I crack jokes and I dress the way I do and I think people are laughable and God, I take God very seriously, uh, people tend to think I'm very charismatic. In one sense, I guess I am, but, in, but they think more in like the, the speaking in tongues thing. I have no problem with the gifts whatsoever as long as they're used biblically. Okay? But I have had numerous conversations where people ask me about element and they say things like, well, is your church spirit-filled or your church spirit-led or your church spirit-whatever? You know what the question they're asking is? Do you guys speak in tongues? That's the question they're asking. Uh, we had a barbecue a while ago out here, and I actually talked to a lady outside about this, and she, she, she actually says it. She goes, she goes, you teach pretty well, but you could do so much more if you had the Spirit. I'm like, wow, <laughs> thanks <laughs> for humbling me. I, I appreciate that. And I'm like, how do you know I don't have it? Do I not have the right underwear on? Or did, you know, how can you see my underwear? What's going on with that? And she said this. She goes, she goes well, do you speak in tongues? And I said, no, God didn't give me that gift. You know, I, we have no right to tell God what gift he's supposed to give to people. That's, that's God's decision. Some do, some don't. And she goes, well, if you had the Spirit, you would speak in tongues. And I said, why? She said, because that's the evidence of the manifestation in you. And I said, I thought it was love. I thought it was love. And I said, and then I always go too far. Because <laughs> I, I go, and I think I do have it because I haven't punched you and run you off yet. See, so I'm loving. People don't think that's funny. Okay. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is that we love God and we obey God. The Spirit gives us how He wants, but the the gift that the Spirit gives, how you tell if you have it, is love. Verse 22, this is question number three. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the whole world? Now, here's a good question. You know, if you're going to die and the nations are waiting to hear from you, they're, they're troubled, and you reveal the Father and the Son and the Spirit and the purposes of God and the truth of the world and why we exist, why are you only telling this to 11 guys? You know, it seems like a big order. You may, we may need like 15 or 16 guys, you know, to, to make this thing work. And so how does Jesus actually change the world? Though he does this with, he loves 11 guys over a dinner. I don't know why he doesn't use a crusade or a jumbotron. Jesus says this, verse 23. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. This means the child of God is a foretaste of heaven. Of heaven. We are told heaven is where you go when you die. You know, that's, that's only half true. And too many people just buy into that. I got fire insurance, and then, and then I go. No, we are to live our lives as children of God on this planet right now. Heaven is a state of God residing in you upon belief and repentance in him. His home with us. Our eyes are open. Jesus comes to us and heaven begins when 
people come into contact with us, they should get a foretaste of what heaven is like because of how we love, because of how we treat people, because of what God has done in us. Verse 24, He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counsel of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There he says it again. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, predicting the future, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. Satan will kill him, but Jesus will rise from the dead. But the world must learn that I love the Father, and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And he says, come now, let us leave. And the meal is done. The last supper at that point is over. And in John, for the last two chapters, you get to see what these conversations that take place during the Last Supper actually are. So how do you change the world with dinner with 11 guys? No problem. Cake. The Holy Spirit will come and give you power and encouragement and the words to say you don't worry about a thing. The love of God will be in you at all times and in all ways. And so we as people are to get out there and live our lives. We go with the Spirit of God. And He is more than we ever need. It is kind of overwhelming But it's true that Jesus changes the world with 11 guys he spoke to over this dinner. It's amazing to me. We sit here 2,000 years removed reading John 14. How did it get from there to here? The Holy Spirit. Love went to someone, to someone, to someone, to someone, and it got to us. I really hope that one day that we get to see this progression that God goes, okay, here's you. This is the person that talked to you, and then all the way back down the line. And we get to see it trace all the way back to these 11 guys. Because I think we'll just be like, wow, that's really amazing. I mean, your life, you may have some trouble now, but Jesus says, trust me, believe me, have faith, live what I call you to live. What is the plan and the strategy to change the world? The Holy Spirit will teach you to love people, will teach you to love people. Jesus makes promises. Has Jesus made good on his promises? Yes, he has. He promised he would die and rise from the dead. Did he do that? Did he do that? Yes. Yes. Respond now. He promised to take care of our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. Does he do that? Yes, he does. He promised he'd return to the Father. Did Jesus do that? Did Jesus do that? Thank you. I didn't know if this thing was on, or maybe I shut off in the middle of it. He promised to send the Holy Spirit. Did he do that? Yes, he did. He promised to come to be with us, and we have faith, and we love him. Does he do that? And does he send us to do the exact same thing to the world we are in contact with? Yes, he does. And it's all good news. And you and I need to love God so we can do what Jesus has been doing. The Spirit brings us to the Son who reconciles and cleans us up and brings us to the Father who becomes our Dad. It's a great cycle of love. I think the question for you and I is, do we glorify the Father because we love the Son? Do we glorify the Father because we love the Son? If you you do not love, then you need the Holy Spirit, period. Jesus promises he'll be faithful and answer the prayers of his people. And so we pray. Last week, I spent a lot of time talking about fellowship. And I told you how fellowship is worship. Prayer is also worship. I mean, and, and sometimes, you know, when you, when you talk about the truth and you live your life in truth, and, you know, sometimes truth, it, it looks different depending on who you talk to. Some, it's a, it's a strong hand of, of telling the truth. And some, the truth is a, is a, is a soft hand of giving grace. But you need to know who you're talking to. You need to love people enough that God says, okay, this is how I need you to talk to them. This is what I need you to do. 
And then we hear that prompting in our hearts and we follow through on what God calls us to do because that's how the world gets changed. I mean, seriously, 11 guys over dinner. I mean, and what are, you know, elements like, you know, 250 people now. Seriously, what? They changed the world. What can we do? I mean, if we really lived it, if we really lived it. It's one of the reasons we come to communion every single week because it reminds us of what Jesus did for you and I. Where you take that cracker and you break it and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. Breaking the cracker reminds us of his body which is broken for us and the wine of the grape juice reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I so that we be the people that he calls us to be. That we can have the strength and the power to have our sins forgiven and live a redeemed life. And we're going to worship God through prayer. There'll be some uh, deacons and elders in the back of the room. And if you, you know, are missing it, you're like, I, I need to learn how to love. I really do because I don't have... Pray with them because they would love to pray with you. I'm going to worship God through song. The band's going to come back up. And as they, and as they pray, play some songs. Take communion. Uh, pray where you're at and ask God to reveal to you who you're supposed to be talking to, who you're supposed to be loving, who you're supposed to be treating a little bit differently than you do now. And then you pray prayers, and you know, where you're at, prayers that glorify the Father. We're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes in the side wall and in the, in the very back of the room. And if you're a kid, you're dismissed. <laughs> uh, and then we're going to worship God through fellowship. You guys can hang out where we're done. There's still some food in the back. Uh, you can get to know some other people if you don't know them. And then hopefully next week you guys can fellowship even more over at the baptisms where we all get together and dunk each other into the water. Like I said, bring your water wings. It'll be a whole... A lot of fun. Uh, We are called to be a people who love like Jesus loved. So what's love like that? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we as a people do ask that you would teach us how to love. God, we know that that many times we don't love the way that you call us to. We know that what we tend to do sometimes is actually uh, hurt the ones that we love the most. And I ask that you would teach us how to be a people who love those who not only love us, but also love those who do not care for us at all. I mean, Lord, you you love Judas to the bitter end, even though he would never believe. And you loved and invested in him anyway. And I ask that we would also be a people who do that. God, just like you took 11 guys over that dinner, I ask that you would take us as a people and help us to make a difference in the communities and our neighborhoods and our homes where we live now so that people would truly see who you are, that you are good and gracious and loving. And these are the things that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.